Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. morning and welcome back to our study of the book of Habakkuk. If you would take your Bibles right now and turn them to Habakkuk uh, in preparation for uh, our message here today. We're studying this particular book because uh, it, it's a lament. It's a, it's a, a, a Habakkuk is, right, is complaining to God and, and, and unloading his burdens to him right, now, right then. And Habakkuk is, is really teaching us how to handle evil times. How do we handle dark days? And, and really, even as we face a relatively dark period of, uh, of life, as, as we've gone through the pandemic, as we're still in the pandemic, as COVID cases have recently risen in our city and has, have affected us, uh, we need to know how to live in dark days. I'm preaching this not because we're currently in dark days, but also because there are day, dark days that are going to happen ahead and we need to be prepared for them. And so we learned last week what we should do when there are dark days. We learned that we should talk to God, that we should pray. We learned last week that we need to prepare to be amazed by what God's response is, that we should surrender ourselves to that. And then finally, we learned that we need to embrace dark days by looking at Jesus, that we need to trust Jesus in the midst of dark days, even when it seems counterintuitive to what we are experiencing. Today, as we look at things, uh, I, I, at this book, I want us to look at when we're facing dark days, how do I interact with God? Especially when uh, what I think I know about God seems so different than what I'm experiencing. Uh, I was uh, on Facebook actually this week and, and I saw uh, Dr. Tony Evans, one of my favorite preachers, had a little quote up. He said this, Believe that God is good even when life is not. Now that's great that he said that, but how do we do that? How do we, uh, when, when things are different than what we think we know God to be and they're darker than what it's supposed to be, how do we live that way? Habakkuk's experience was that he would cry out to God for justice for his particular country, for Judah, and God answered him, which was awesome. Yay, we got an answer. He was longing for God to answer. But then he heard what, he, what God said. He said, God, God said, I'm gonna, you're not going to believe what I'm going to tell you. Uh, I'm going to bring justice out of injustice. I'm going to send the Chaldeans, the Babylonian Empire, to come and conquer you. And with that, Habakkuk is confused. And not just confused, but he's deeply troubled and even angry with God. And he begins to wrestle with God about his answer. I mean, we do this too. Have you ever wondered what God was up to, what he was doing, because it seems so different than what you thought you believed him to be? Have you ever struggled to believe that he's good because of the situation that you're in that seems so bad? Have you ever been just a little bit angry with God, maybe more than a little bit angry with God? Well, today our message is titled, Wrestling with God in Dark Days. 
we, I, I want to teach you, as Habakkuk teaches us even here, how to wrestle faithfully with God when things seem so out of balance, when what we're experiencing seems so different than what we thought we believed about God. And so I want us to rally around this particular statement here today. Write this down. When facing dark days, wrestle faithfully with God by watching for his perspective and waiting patiently in faith. Notice, in dark days we're going to wrestle, that's what the statement says, and then we're going to watch, and then we're going to be waiting patiently. So let's read together this text here this morning. We're going to start in chapter 1, verse 12, and read down through chapter 2, verse 4. Let let me read this for us here this morning. Remember, Habakkuk has first given a complaint to God, and then he heard from God, and he wasn't happy with what he heard. And so we pick up the, the story after God's first response, now Habakkuk's second question and God's second response. It goes like this. Habakkuk says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up a man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. So Habakkuk here has heard from God the first time, and God said, I'm going to do something you won't even believe. And sure enough, Habakkuk here, he responds to God, and he's like, God, I can't believe it. You're God, and I don't understand this. And why is it that you're using people who are less righteous to conquer people who are more righteous, even if their righteousness isn't perfect? And why is it that you allow them to, to worship their, their power and their ability? And, and the, the injustice of this all doesn't seem right. He then says, I'm going to go look for, uh, go up on the tower and wait for your response. And, and God says, that's right. You need to wait. That's what it is. And in all of this, we're, we're looking at how to wrestle with God. I mean, how do we really wrestle with God? How is it that it really, that we can really have that disagreement and, and come before Him and, and make known the things that are, are so burdensome on our heart? How do we do that in a way that He doesn't just smite us? How do we do that in a way that we get a response? 
Well, let's start with this this morning. Write this down. In dark days, wrestle faithfully with God. Habakkuk is frustrated. And he says to the Lord as he hears the first response from God, God, that's worse than if, it were, if you would have just left us alone. The cure is worse than the condition. Now, I remember when I was in the U.S., I would see advertisements on TVs that where the cure seemed worse than the condition. I remember seeing a TV ad for cholesterol medication. And if you were to take this medication, it says it would help your cholesterol, but it also warned about all sorts of side effects. Actually, the side effects list was immensely long. The side effects included headache and diarrhea and 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 death like it was like this long list of like why would you even take this medication because the side effects were so bad and God when he answers Habakkuk Habakkuk goes that's worse that's worse the the cure is worse than the condition that we're in and he complains again even stronger than he did the first time to God and really it's almost an accusation now we don't really see this in the English text here but if you look at verse 12 and particularly the way it's written in the Hebrew, this is actually a rhetorical question. Remember what a rhetorical question is, right? It's in the form of a question, but it's really a statement. It's really making a point. It's not actually asking something. And actually scholars who have studied Hebrew and understand the Hebrew language and the nuances of how this was written actually consider this probably the strong, one of the strongest accusations in the Old Testament to God in the way that it is written. Habakkuk here is saying, aren't you everlasting? God, aren't you holy? God, you're, you're my God. You're the, you're the God that I know. Uh, how could a God do this and let the Babylonians come and conquer us? Habakkuk is asking bold questions here. And he's doing that because he's trying to reconcile the life experience that he's having with his understanding of God. God, how could it be that you would do this? That, that makes things even worse, it seems. I, I was facing some dark days, but now it's even darker after I've heard from you. Have you ever been there? Have the circumstances in your life caused you to wrestle with God? And then you've cried out to him and, and he's responded and you're like, but that's even, that's not what I wanted. That's, that seems even worse. Sometimes we get to a spot where we feel like our experience seems contrary to who we know God to be. Why would you do this, God? How come you're allowing this pain? I just don't understand. And God, I, I'm giving up hope in you because of what this is. There's two very common responses when we face dark days and when we have that type of experience. When we're in the boat that Habakkuk is in here, when we have a circumstance like that in our life, there's two ways that we often respond. First, some of us have been taught that it is not okay to question God. This tends to be a traditional religious type of person that would, would have been taught these types of things. We're, we're taught just to endure and don't complain. Suppress your feelings. God's in control. Just, just get through this. Keep a stiff upper lip. And if you don't, God's going to get angry at you. And the problem is, 
with this way of thinking is that we endure and we endure and we endure and we stuff down what's going inside to the place that we break. We're just too weak to go on. Another problem with this teaching is that we see in Scripture characters questioning God. We see here Habakkuk doing this very thing, perhaps the strongest place in the Bible that it happens. We know that King David wrestled with God and he, he, was, he was asking him difficult questions, lamenting with him. Jer, the prophet Jeremiah, he, he is literally laying naked in a ditch, looking up and saying, God, you deceived me. Jesus wrestled with God in the garden He's there and he's asking, God, is there any other way that this could be done? Why do you think these stories are preserved in Scripture? Why do you think the book of Habakkuk is here in Scripture? The book of Job, some of the Psalms, and even the story of Jesus wrestling with God in the garden. Why is that preserved in the Bible? Well, I believe it's to show us that our relationship with God is not based on our, on our ability to endure or to keep a stiff upper lip. It actually, it's to show us that our relationship is based upon the grace that God gives us, that He will push us to breaking points, that He will give us more than we can handle so that we would learn to rely and depend upon Him and, and that we would follow Him. In all of that, I want you to see you can come with questions to God. If you've been taught that you shouldn't question God, then, then you're, you're, you should be corrected by what's going on in this text. Listen, you could even bring in accusation in the way that Habakkuk is. And God's big enough to handle that. In fact, he's doing all of these things to demonstrate that... that to demonstrate that he has faith in God. That's what Habakkuk is doing here. He's saying, I believe his God is big enough to handle my complaint. And so I'm going to go to him and I'm going to demonstrate that I actually uh, can question him because I believe in him. But there's a second way that we often uh, wrongly respond, not just being taught that it's not okay to question God, but there's a second thing. Some of us uh, have been taught to trust in our ability, our own ability to make sense of the things that are going on around us in a way that, that would even say, I can make sense of the infinite wisdom of God. These tend to be not traditional religious people, but modern people think this way. When the unexpected happens, when things shock us, when, the, when things we can't explain go on, we just say, well, that's okay. It can't be explained, so there must not be a God. I bail out on God. Oftentimes, it's with a shift of, sh I'm sorry, it's a, with a shake of the fist and anger at God as I walk out and say, I'm done. I'm out of here. And the problem is that the trials that are meant to refine us end up repelling us. And so we stop praying and we stop reading the word of God. We're so upset because we can't put it together. We, we stop worshiping God. In fact, we, we stop altogether even going to church and being a part of the community. Notice all, all things that are supposed to be the things that cause us to abide with Jesus Christ. We stop abiding because we think that we can figure it out in our own understanding and then we don't. And so we isolate ourselves and we detach ourselves from the vine of Jesus Christ. And it causes us to walk away completely from God. 
Listen, when you walk away from God, what you're saying with your actions is this. I don't deserve this. Or, or you're saying, if there is a God, he owes me better than what this is. But, but can I just tell you that if you're thinking that way, if you're on the verge of thinking those things, if you've thought those things for a long time, but they're finally coming to the surface, I want you to remember, you aren't all-knowing. You are not all-powerful. You can't know what's best for you. I mean, isn't it possible that God is up to something greater and deeper than you can see and believe and understand in that moment? I mean, isn't that like multiple stories of the Bible teaching that? I mean, I think of the story of Joseph, right? Joseph is the, the favorite son of the patriarch Jacob. In fact, he's such a favorite son that Jacob actually spoils him. And he spoils him so badly. There's, there, there's such a love for him, such all love, no truth. There's very little discipline in that, that Joseph is on the way to becoming a cruel and evil man. The whole family is on their way to be in an abusive, dysfunctional family. Actually, that's already in play. And so what does God do to save them physically from the famine that's coming? To save them emotionally from the destruction of the favorite son and all that Joseph was on the way to? What does he do to save this family spiritually? Well, he gives Joseph 20 years of misery. He, he's a part of an attempted murder by his brothers. He's sold into slavery by his brothers. Then he's falsely accused and thrown into prison for 20 years. The misery is an immense in Joseph's life. But if you look back, you would see that everything had to happen to help rescue this family from themselves. And yet we sit here and we say, I don't get it. I don't, I just want to know now, God, I, I, I don't get what you're doing. And we can't because, because he's God and his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That's what we reflected on last week and we continue to see here. Let me ask you a question here this morning to help maybe drive this a little bit further into your personal individual life. Are you willing to wrestle faithfully when you encounter things that you don't understand? When you're frustrated in the way that Habakkuk is, when you're in complaining to God about all the unrighteous things going on, when you're tied into knots, are you willing to wrestle faithfully with God? Or, or, or are you just going to walk away? Habakkuk is showing us that it's way better to wrestle with God than it is to walk away. Notice Habakkuk never occurs to him that he should walk away. That's not what he says here. Actually, in the next verse, in, in chapter 2, verse 1, we're going to see. He never intended to walk away. He was wrestling with God, but he was doing it faithfully. He was doing it in a way that says, I'm not walking away. In dark days, wrestle faithfully with God. But that brings up a question. What does it look like to wrestle faithfully with God? Thankfully, that's what the next verses help us understand. And so write this down. Number two here this morning. In dark days, watch for God's perspective. Notice that Habakkuk states that he's going to do two things in chapter 2, verse 1. Really, this is the end of his second complaint. 
Notice it says, I will take my stand at the, at the watch post, at my watch post, and station myself on the tower and look out to see what, I, what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Two things that Habakkuk says that he's going to do. Number one is this. I'm going to station myself on the tower. Why? <laughs> Why does he say that he's going to go up and have a tower and station himself? Well, he's going to position himself at a place that's up high because he needs perspective. Most cities in this day would have had a wall around it. And, and the wall would have been pr for protective reasons, but it would have been difficult to see outside of the city to see what was going on outside of there. And so you need, would need to go up to a tower to see what is coming at you. You would need to see what kind of weather is coming or if there's any emissaries from another kingdom that is coming or even worse, if there were enemies that were coming. And when enemies were surrounding you, you would be up at the tower looking, are there any reinforcements? Are there any allies that are coming? Because listen, if there was an ally coming with 20 times the size of the enemy surrounded you, that was good news. So Habakkuk says here, I'm going to go up onto the tower there and look out to see what he, God, will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. I was a little bit confused about that second part there. He says, what I will answer concerning my complaint. But I got to thinking about that. Habakkuk is wrestling faithfully with God using questions. By asking questions, he's wrestling faithfully. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to encourage you to do this. I said this last week, talk to God, pray. This week I'm saying that in dark days that, that we, need, we need to wrestle faithfully. I, I'm saying we need to get out what is on the inside of us. We need to ask these types of questions because in doing so, many times it reminds us of who God is. Notice, he reminds himself of what is true as he, as he, as he asks the question in verse 12. Are you not from everlasting you're God. There's only one who is everlasting. It's God. I'm, I'm, even as I'm asking the question, I'm reminding so. And then he says, Oh Lord, my God, the personal name for God, my God. I'm remembering that he's my God. And then, then he's the Holy One. He, he's the one that is perfect and completely just. And, and I'm coming with injustice. And, and I'm re, he's reminding himself by asking the questions. God is holy and internal and just. And if that's true, I can trust him, even if it seems crazy to be doing so right now in this dark moment. By asking questions, Habakkuk reminded himself of what is true, that this was the eternal, intimate, good God. And in light of what is true about God, he then sees, I can endure there's a second thing that he says, not just the station myself on the tower, but the second thing is actually at the very beginning. It says, I will take my stand at my watch post. I have the resolve to stay here until God answers. Habakkuk is going to stand watch and he's not going to leave the post. It's kind of this idea of a sentry, right? A sentry is, is, that, is that role in the military where you go and you stand watch. You take the watch post. And most of the time when you're a sentry, you don't see anything. But it's really, really important. It's really important not to, to, to abandon the post or to, to get lazy in what you're doing. If you leave your post, the whole city could be lost. 
And so it's a crucial uh, aspect to remain there. To uh, Listen, if you're on guard duty, you are not allowed to leave. And Habakkuk's way of struggling with God is to say, I'm not going to leave. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to keep doing what you've called me to do. I'm going to cry out to you. You've told me, you've taught me that before, that I can depend upon you. I'm going to stay here doing that. I'm not leaving my post. Even though I'm weary. Even though I'm confused and angry and unsure I'm not going to stop praying. Habakkuk is wrestling faithfully faithfully with the Lord, and we see here that he's watching. He's watching for God's perspective. And that's hard to do when I feel like God is absent. That's hard to do when I feel like God is not answering the prayer. When I'm weary and confused and in pain and struggling, so many times it becomes easier to run away. Is that true of you too? Don't don't leave me hanging here. Is that true of you too? It's easier to chase after other things than to remain at the watch post. I chase after my comfort and I chase after my control. I, I chase after control of the situation. But when we abandon watching, we don't get anything from God. Actually, many times when we abandon watching and we begin to fall into these other things, it causes us to sin and it causes an even deeper darkness in the moment. So station yourself. Watch. Be looking for God's perspective in what's going on and wait for the answer. And doing so, this is a very active thing. Many times people read a verse like this and they think that uh, Habakkuk just climbed up on his tower and, and sat back and didn't do anything. And that's the way we're supposed to live the Christian life. No, no, there's, there's activity going on. There's an activeness to the watching that's being talked about here. Really, this idea is, is really not, not, is not the idea of standing around doing nothing. This watching is the idea of attending to something. Of, a lot of times we say waiting on it. So it reminded me when I was in university, one of the jobs that I had to help get myself through was uh, being a waiter. I waited at a restaurant, a steakhouse, and, and I learned that really what a good waiter was supposed to do. A good waiter does not stand around. A good waiter doesn't get distracted with other things. A good waiter is checking on their customers. It's, it's serving them. It's returning back many times. It's taking care of little details. It's being in conversation with them. Listen, waiting is not passive. It's active in that way. It, and and the, the waiting of, and watching is to be alert in that as well. Psalm 130 actually helped me understand this even a little bit further. It's, the psalmist is writing here. And we see here that he's a, he's a mess. He's in trouble. He, he's, he's drowning in the depths, it says. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, in verse 1. So he's facing dark days. He's in a very dark place. But what I want you to see is really in verses 5 and 6. It's the idea of how to watch and wait for God. It says in verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. He repeats it twice. More than the watchman for the morning. The watchman is asking, is the morning going to come? It's dark. And they can't see, they can't wait for the light to come fast enough. They're looking for the morning. 
I actually had another job in, in when I was at college as well. I was a security officer on, the, on campus of the university, and my job in security it required me sometimes to take the third shift. That was the dreaded shift. It started at 2 a.m. and went to 7 or 8 in the morning. And, and I just remember how we would long for the morning. We would long for the sunrise. It was almost there because, it, listen, in the middle, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock at night, it was so hard to stay awake. It was so hard to stay alert. It was so hard. You just felt everything draining out of you. We were longing for the morning. And Habakkuk is saying that here. He says, I'm struggling. I'm angry. I'm upset but I'm not walking away from you, God. I'm staying here until I get an answer. I'm going to be faithful to what you've called me to until I get that answer. I'm not running away. I'm watching for your perspective. Let me ask you, do you need a different perspective in something today? Is there a dark moment that you're facing in a relationship? Is there a a dark day when it comes to your finances? Maybe it's darkness with a medical issue that has come up. What's weighing you down? What's what's dark in your life even right now? Where do you need a different perspective? Where do you need to watch for God's perspective? Where do you need to say, I'm not leaving. I'm going to keep doing what you've called me to. God, I, I, give me the strength to do it even, but I'm climbing up the tower. I'm looking for your perspective. I'm going to be faithful to what you've called me to until you give me the answer in this dark day. That's faithful wrestling with God. But it's not just watching that God tells us is faithful watching. It's also waiting. God tells us to wait, in fact. Actually, it's part of his response in verses 2 to 4 that we're going to look at. But write this down to help remember. In dark days, wait patiently in faith. Notice what God says here in verse 2 to 4. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow... Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. God responds to Habakkuk's second level of question with a second answer. Last week we saw that that God said, listen, when, 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 when you're... When you're struggling with dark days, we need to come and we need to ask and we need to pray and we need to go to him the way Habakkuk was modeling for us because God does answer even if it's surprising. But even when we're facing the surprising answer, the shocking answer, the disappointing answer, the answer that upsets us and says, God, are you even really there? Are you even really real? Even when we get to that place, God still responds. Notice he's not angry with Habakkuk. Notice he doesn't chastise Habakkuk. He doesn't doesn't kill Habakkuk right there for doing something wrong. He answers again. And that should cause us to even see that we should wait patiently in faith. Notice what he says in verse 2. He says, write the vision. I'm going to give you an answer here. You need to write it down on tablets. You need to chisel it into stone. And in that day, it it would kind of be like, hey, put it up on the billboard for everybody to see. And then he says in verse 
3. For the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. It's going to take a while, Habakkuk, so you've got to wait. That's what he says here, right? Wait for it in verse 3. You might think that I've forgotten you, but I haven't. I'm still at work, is what God says. The timeline is perfect, including the fact that you have to wait for it. So, if we're supposed to wait, what do we need to be able to wait? What is the key characteristics within us that is required if we're going to be somebody who waits? Well, it's patience. Take a moment, whoever you're sitting around with here today, identify who is the most patient among your groups that you're, that as you listen to this sermon. And then maybe pick the person, uh, not who's, who's most patient, but who is least patient. Can you identify that? Listen, have a little fun with it. Don't hurt each other. Maybe the most important question is, how are you doing with being patient? I mean, even right now in the pandemic that we are experiencing, I think one of the things that is revealed in all of us is our lack of patience. We can't move about as freely. We haven't been able for the most part to do that. How many of you are tired of Zoom meetings, even though it seems like we haven't done that quite as often recently? And now we are hearing that there's a second wave. There's a, there's a potential increase of what's going on even within our own city. It's caused us to not be able to meet in person to worship. I mean, I gotta tell you, I was so excited that today was the day that we were gonna be able to meet for the first time in six months as a church. And so I was so disappointed when I realized that I, I, I've been so impatient to be able to be together with our church family in person again. I, I'm not very good at patience. And if you're like me and not very good at patience, you might say, I wish I had patience. Like it, as if it was a trait that was something that somebody has and doesn't have. It's like, I wish I was tall or, or whatever the, it is. It, that's not the way patience works. It doesn't, it's not something you have or you don't have. Patience is available to every believer because it's the fruit of the Spirit. So how do we get patience? How do we position ourselves if it's the fruit of the Spirit, if it's something that the Spirit can produce within me, how do I get that? Well, patience requires humility. Think about that. Why do you get impatient? I mean, you're worried, you're anxious, you're angry, you're upset. Why? Why? Why, do you, why do you get that way? Why do you get impatient and exhibit all of those things? And it's because we have a desire to be in control. I want to do it my way is what we think. And when you acknowledge that you are not in control, you allow God to, to, allow, to position you to humbly submit to the one who is actually in control. I mean, this is the story all throughout Scripture, that when people humble themselves... They learn patience. So in Job, we see that amazing story of, of a man who God took through some very dark days. And in the midst of that, in the middle of Job, we see a verse that's really a hallmark of, of much of what, this, of what this is. We see in Job 23, verse 10, it says this, But he knows the way that I take. He knows my life. He knows everything that's going on within it. And when he has tried me, 
I shall come out as gold. I mean, really what he's saying here, this, this idea that I'm going to be in this middle of this dark days and then, and then I'm going to come out as gold. There's something that's going to be produced in me. It's going to be spirit fr- fruit that is produced in me. It's going to be something that God does within me. We can see that even clearly in Romans chapter 5. Romans 5 verse 3 and 4, it says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Keep looking at those verses. Look at the progression of what happens here. It says that we rejoice in sufferings because suffering produces endurance. That's patience. And that endurance produces character, and that character produces hope. Habakkuk is wrestling, and he takes his watch up in the tower, and God tells him to wait because waiting is going to produce character that leads to hope. So we have to define hope. We have to define what that is. If we're looking for hope in dark days, what exactly are we looking for in that? Well, it's confusing because the way the Bible uses the word hope is different than the way we use the word hope in English today. In English, we, when we say that we hope for something, it means I don't know, but I'm looking for a positive result. For example, I hope that it doesn't rain on our picnic next Sunday. Now, when I say that, I don't know if it's going to rain or not on our picnic. I'm just saying I'm looking for a positive result. I'm I'm hoping, I don't know, but I'm hoping that that's the way it's going to turn out. But the Bible uses the word hope differently. When the Bible uses the word, in the Hebrew in particular here, we see that it means this. I've taught this before to you. Hope is a life-shaping certainty about the future. And so that's why we can sing My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. When when we say my hope is built on this, we're saying it's a life-shaping certainty about the future. It's life-shaping certainty about my salvation and what Jesus has accomplished for me. It's not a matter of it may or may not happen. I know it's going to happen. It's hope that's assured that's going to happen. And when we humble ourselves, we can wait with patient hope. It's actually part of what allows us to even wait patiently. To know the certainty of what is going to happen allows me to calm myself and wait in a patient type of way. Because I'm confident in His promises, and because if I belong to Him, the Word of God says in Romans that He will work all things out for the good of His purpose. I can put my trust and belief and hope in all of that. So this hope that we're talking about here, what's that based on? Well, Habakkuk actually helps us see that in verse 4. In verse 4 it says, Behold, his soul is puffed up in him. It's not upright within him. He's talking about the enemies. But the righteous, in contrast, shall live by his faith. What, what is that faith? Well, faith is seeing things the way God says they are not the way I see or perceive them to be. So at the very beginning, we say sometimes it's really hard to trust God because in the middle of dark days, I think, God, this is crazy. How could you let this happen? This is so painful. How do I get out of this? I'm so concerned. I don't know if I really believe you. But faith says, 
God, I don't see it right now, but I'm going to believe it because I'm going to see things the way that you say it is, even if I'm not experiencing it in my life right now at the moment. We see this in a couple of different examples. We see this in the life of the Apostle Paul, who I think must have loved the book of Habakkuk. He quotes it a number of different times. Last last week we look at Acts chapter 13. He was quoting it in the middle of a sermon. Paul experienced so much suffering. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 the list of the suffering that he endured. Listen, he endured more suffering than most of us ever will in this life. And he continually comes and he quotes this book, and and in particular, this verse, chapter 2, verse 4. He quotes it in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, to help us understand the gospel and how it's by faith that we believe it. He quotes it in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11 as well, a key passage to help us understand. And then the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who that was, quotes it in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. I mean, this was a verse that has impacted so much of our faith, and not just in biblical times, but even in uh, recent history. This was the verse that changed a Catholic priest by the name of Martin Luther. He thought, his understanding, his training had taught him that really this relationship with God was kind of this idea of a matching grant. Like if I put in this much, God will put in this much, and then we get to have the fullness of, of salvation. And it was the idea that we, we each have to contribute to all of this. That's not the gospel, by the way. In that, he thought that God hated him and he would cry out to him and whip himself because he realized that he could never reach even just giving his portion. And so in return, he found himself even hating God in the moment. And then he began to read the book of Romans. And when he got to Romans chapter 1, verse 17, which is the quotation Paul uses of Habakkuk 2, verse 4, he came and he realized that it's by faith, that the one who by faith, the one who by faith is righteous will live. That changed his whole perspective, that the one who by faith is righteous, it's not something that you do and something that you earn, it's something that you receive, something that you believe in, and you build your whole trust in life around, and that caused a whole thing called the Reformation. That's why our heritage, our understanding of the gospel being full as it is, comes from uh, the idea that a man realized that it was by faith that the righteous live. I mean, this is important for you and I because the lens of faith is how we must see, see how God sees us. I mean, think about that. God sees us. He sees us as a sinner who has no right to be seen as righteous. That's the reality of who we are. But, but He sees us as righteous because God sent Jesus Christ to pay the payment for our sin. The one the only righteous one, the one who was complete, and even though he was tempted and never sinned, but completely holy, God realized that, that he sees us through the lens of Jesus Christ. God's plan was to be silent while wickedness swallowed up Jesus in death. Why is that? So that we can live. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 helps us to see this important concept. And in this verse, we see that it says, it says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? 
That means that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your failures and your faults and the fissures in your character. He sees perfection and he delights in it because he's, he's seeing it through the lens of the fact that we looked at faith at Jesus Christ. Jesus, we talked about this, wrestled with God's plan. His own understanding of the cross was one where he asked God, is there any other way? But he went to the cross anyway where he was mocked and he was taunted and in the midst of the taunting of, of saying, come down, if you're really the son of God, he could have come down or he could have sent angels to wipe everything out. But he stayed and he stood watch for us on the cross and he died. And then he was buried and he waited. But on the third day he rose and he conquered the enemies of sin and death and, and, and all that would behold us, Satan himself. So that anyone who surrenders themselves to Jesus will li and lives by faith in the Son is saved. What's that all means? It means that faith gives us the ability to see our circumstances, our pain, our, and our trials, not as God's retribution to us, but as the thing that he's using to refine us. First Peter talks about this, how he calls us into relationship with God and he sends at times, he sends us through the fire to be refined as gold. Our faith is purified in those dark, in those dark days, but we come out with joy and renewed with, our, with confidence in God. Faith is the ability to know that there's more going on than what I can see. It has perspective and it waits patiently with hope. So let me ask you, is there any way that you are impatiently acting without faith in your life today? Really, the call is to repent of that, to confess that you're wrong, that your, your pursuit of control or comfort or power, whatever it is, that you need to surrender that all up to God and you need to ask him, God, help me to repent. I see that it's not right, but help me to repent of the fullness of it. Then you need to believe. You need, you, you need, what is it that you need to believe today? What is it that you need to chisel on your heart that you need to remember the promises of God, that the thing that God has said that you can put your hope in? What is it that you need to actively be praying about and reading God's word about so that you're attached to the vine and trusting in him? And then you need to live. Living, what is the first step of obedience that you need to take right now, even in the midst of the dark days? I mean, I know this happens to me when it's so dark around me that I don't even think about what is the right next step of obedience that I need to be about. I get paralyzed by that. And so take it, take the next step, and then the one after that, and then the one after that, and live obediently for Him. When we face dark days, Habakkuk is teaching us here today, we need to wrestle faithfully with God. And we do that by watching for his perspective and waiting patiently in faith. Let me just remind you of the questions that might guide you to be able to wrestle faithfully with God even today. Number one, how willing am I to wrestle with the Lord when I don't understand? Instead of saying that I can't question God, or instead of saying I'm going to figure it out in my own understanding, 
wrestle faithfully with God? What is it right now? What is the specific thing that you right now to be, need to be wrestling with God? What is it that you need to bring to Him? Question number two, where does my perspective on my current situation need to change? In what way do you need to climb the watchtower and ask for God's perspective? What way do you need to say, I'm not running away from this. I'm going I'm to stick to this, God. I'm going I'm to post myself here. I'm going to be faithful to you and faithfully obedient to you until you show me the answer. God, I'm not running away because I believe in you. Number three, how can faith in Jesus help me wait on the Lord with patience and hope? What is it that you need to believe him for? What is it that you're, you're just not sure, you're just barely cling, clinging on, but what is it today that you can say, Lord, help me. I, I want to believe these things about you. I see what your word says. I'm going to believe them today, and I'm going to do it with patience and hope. In fact, we're going to even engage in activity to help each other do that very thing right there. We are told to remember what Christ did to save us. Regularly, We are told to use symbols, to, to partake in the Lord's table. I've, I've brought the two symbols here. We're, we're told to use the symbol of bread and the symbol of the cup to help us understand and remember what it is to live by faith in Jesus Christ. And in this, I want you to remember what Jesus did for us. So as I read this, I'm going to point this out. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, it says, Paul's writing, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. Listen, that night that he was portrayed, uh, betrayed, he was wrestling with God's plan. But he was wrestling faithfully. He wasn't wrestling in a way to get out from under it. He was wrestling if there was any other way, but he was saying, God, I'll do it if you ask me to. I'm going to go through whatever you ask me to go through. Is there any other way? But if there isn't, I'm with you, God. He, he was betrayed. Think about that. That was a dark moment. That would have caused him to wrestle. But he did that faithfully. Goes on to say that he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus watched for God's perspective to stay on the cross. Jesus here is talking about this bread we're going to use to remember that this is his body where he, he was watching for God's perspective and God turned away from him. Think about that. And he's cried out, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? But he... He was watching for that and taking God's turn away from him so that God would never turn away from you if you believe in him. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Listen, Jesus waited for God's victory for three days. For three days, he waited that he could provide the new covenant for us, that we could be, be, able, be able to have it. Listen, you don't have to wait any longer. Today, you could believe in Jesus Christ for your salvation and have the new covenant because he waited in that grave for three days to cover you and your sin. It says, for as often as you drink this bread, eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Listen, we're going to do this right now. And in doing so, we're saying, God, we're, we're going to wait by faith. We're going to wait for you until you come back. For as long as that takes, 
For as many dark days as might be numbered for us, we're not going to run. We're going we're to hold on to this. We are going to continue to by faith. We're going to live by our faith. We're going to believe, looking forward in the confident hope that we have in what you've promised for us. And so right now, we're going to partake in these elements together. Why don't you take whatever elements that you have prepared and first take the bread. It says that he, he broke the bread. And, and if you would just take a, a small piece of that bread off right now, we're going to partake this together wherever we are gathered around the city online here today. Notice he says that he took the bread and when he had given thanks and broke it, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you're willing to stand up and shout to the world, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. It might be dark. He might even seem to do things that are difficult, but I'm trusting in him then let's partake in this together right now and remember what he gave so that we could have that faith. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. That's what we're going to do right now. If you're living by faith in Jesus Christ, if you're willing to face dark days by waiting in faith, because that is the Christian life, that you'll wrestle faithfully, you'll watch for His perspective, you'll wait in faith, trusting in the uh, confident assurance of what He's going to do in the future. Listen, it may be dark right now, but we have great days ahead of us. We have eternity in heaven with God. We're believing that. Then let's Remember what he did to accomplish that by, by taking this cup down. Let me pray and then we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the word of God. It is corrective. It is encouraging. It is challenging. It is inspiring. God, we need you more than ever to enlighten our minds, to illuminate your word into our hearts, to allow us to see that when we face dark days, it's okay to wrestle faithfully. You want us to do so. That is, in fact, an act of faith in itself. And that we should look and watch for your perspective. God, would you show us what we need even right now? And God, that we would wait patiently in faith for you. Lord, we want to proclaim your death and resurrection daily in our living but Lord, we, we have to learn how to wrestle with you faithfully to do so. So God, continue to teach us these things. Help us to be uh, humble in our approach to you. Lord, that humility, would it teach us what hope really is and, and that the faith that we have to walk in these things. God, would you guide us, Lord, for every pain that is felt right now, for everyone who is questioning God and wrestling with you, God, would you... Give them a word of hope today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.